0: Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Anybody here bring a Bible with them today? All right, open up to... Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, Mark's Gospel. And again, if you're new to the world of the Bible, Mark is in the New Testament, and you're saying, that still doesn't help me. If you take a Bible, a paper Bible, and you turn about two-thirds of the way back, eventually you'll find a book called Matthew. Matthew is what we call a gospel. It is a story, a narrative of the things that Jesus did when He walked the earth, right? So you'll find Matthew, and right after Matthew, you'll find Mark. Go to the 10th chapter. We're going to be starting today in the 35th verse. The message is the road, the cross. And today's message is the road to greatness and vision. The road to greatness and vision. Some of you are like, I don't want to be great, liar. To a degree you do. Everybody wants their life to make a mark. Amen? Don't you want your life to make a mark? And I don't mean a bad mark, don't you? You don't want to leave scars, right? You want to leave blessings, you want to mark lives everywhere you go. And how many of you want to have true vision in your life? Right? You want to be able to see as God sees, right? You want to be able to see people, that which is ahead of you, that which is behind you. You want to see it through the redemptive lens of what Jesus Christ has done in, in your life. You want to be able to see, you want to have vision. So today we're going to learn about that. A man fell off a cliff, but he managed to grab a tree limb on the way down. The following conversation ensued. Is anybody up there? I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. That's all right. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. A moment of pause. Is there anyone else up there? (laughs) You ever notice that, like this man, we often, when it really comes down to the nitty-gritty, we have a hard time trusting God's way? The Lord has a path for us, right? He has a a certain direction for our lives. And what we think that direction's going to look like often, that road is going to look like is, you know, it's going to be smooth, It's going to be easy. Yes, you're claiming it already. Come on, Jesus, yeah. Smooth, easy road, right? We don't see difficulties. We definitely don't see a cross. We definitely don't see a shadow of a cross anywhere. We see glory and light and revelation and goodness and prosperity and happiness. And it's funny because we make our plans, right? The Scripture says that the mind of a man plans his way. But the Lord directs His steps. I've often thought, that's an interesting scripture. What are you saying in that, Lord? The mind of a man plans his way. And I think it's good to have plans, by the way. I think it's good to have vision and plan your life and go ahead and get that retirement set up. Be wise with your money, be wise with your time. Go ahead and, and set a course and set your goals. But let me guarantee you of something. It's not going to go exactly the way you planned it. There are going to be surprises. And some of those surprises are going to be extremely painful and difficult, and some of them are going to be beyond anything you could have planned for yourself, so much better. In fact, in the end, you're going to see that even your pain was redeemed, that even your losses were redeemed, that even your suffering was turned inside out, and something beautiful came of it. Because that is God. That's God's way. Right? The Scripture tells us that the temporary light affliction that we go through, that's that's how Paul described our life, the temporary light affliction. Now, I don't know about you. It doesn't feel that way to me. But in the light of eternity, our lives now are a blip on the screen of all that God is gonna do and this is a temporary light affliction compared to what he went on to contrast it to an eternal weight of glory so God has a road for us and it's not the road you've planned for but I want to assure you if you walk with him and you embrace his cross the cross he has for your life He will take the death that it works in you and work a beautiful thing in you and you'll come out the other side into life, a life known as resurrection, right? God brings back from the dead. He brings life from the dead, amen? Amen. Last week we learned about Jesus' self-giving love on the road to die in Jerusalem. Jesus told his disciples, his friends, that he was going to die and they didn't believe it. I mean, you know, I shared it with you. They didn't believe it. Uh, no. And he said he was going to rise from the dead. Well, had anybody ever risen from the dead and stayed alive? No. They had no context for that. So he spoke of his death three different times. He told them, I'm going to die. This is exactly what's going to happen. It's what it's going to look like. And after I die, I'm going to rise from the dead. And it says they didn't understand him. And right after he tells them that, they argue with each other about who's going to be the greatest. So these guys were clueless, just like you and I. When God says, look, the road ahead for you, where I'm taking you, has some suffering to it. We're like, no. Mm -mm. There's a cross. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. Just give me the... I I want an empty tomb, but I don't want to die. Right? And that's the reality. Just as sin blinded their eyes, it blinds ours. They had an agenda to rule with him, but they didn't trust the pathway of the cross. They knew they were going to be in his cabinet and they were looking for an earthly rule right then and there. And he's like, no, that's not how it works in my kingdom. And that's how we are. We say we trust God until his plan includes that suffering and what seems like loss. What's hard to believe is that right after he tells him that he's going to die, James and John, will see this in the text, they start to ask him about having places of honor in his cabinet. They missed everything he just said. And then Jesus moves on from there and he points them to the cross and he demonstrates the love he has for them, and he demonstrates their own blindness by then healing a blind beggar. So that's where we're going today. We're going to walk down this road toward the cross with Jesus, and we're going to see what it means to be great, and we're going to see that even if we're blind, and even if we feel like we're beggars or we don't feel like we're beggars, Jesus heals blind beggars. He heals people like you and me. Amen? Amen. So the road to greatness starts with a cup and a baptism. A cup and a baptism. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. I'm reading from the New King James Version because it captures something in the text that I I particularly like. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. How many of you remember these guys' nicknames? The sons of thunder. Is that a cool nickname or what? Here are my bros, James and John. Yeah, we call them the Sons of Thunder. You can just imagine these guys. I wonder if they were buff. It would be a bummer if they were like really puny guys, right? Hey, man, it's good to see you. We're the Sons of Thunder. That would be just weird. (laughs) Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You ever been there? The road to success, right? And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I love Jesus' response. He's not like, are you kidding me? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the the baptism that I'm baptized with? They They said to him, we are able. They have no idea what they're talking about. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and on my left is not mine to to give. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples are standing by. They're hearing James and John ask for a special place near the throne. And they do exactly what most of us would do. When the other ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself, come here guys, and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, that means the the, um, non-Jewish world, right? They lord it over them. So the rulers, leaders lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. Wow. For even the Son of Man... He's talking of himself. Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Wow, what a different pathway. What a complete, upside-down, inverted, topsy-turvy way the kingdom of God is. So let's, let's walk through this. James and John asked to be seated in the highest places. Remember, this is right after Jesus had said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And it's Can you imagine your friend comes to you and they say, I just want to let you know that I only have a couple weeks to live. The doctors can't do anything. It's absolutely guaranteed I'm going to die. And, and they say, can I have your stuff? How would that make you feel? That's exactly what just happened. You're going to die? I don't listen to that. I don't hear you. Hey, can we sit around your throne where all the glory's going to be? And, you know, they, I'm sure they had in their mind's eye servants coming in and everybody caring for their needs and life's going to be good and we're going to be ruling in Jerusalem. And all those people who made fun of us when we were just fishermen, they're going to get theirs. That's exactly. They, they were just like us. And then Jesus says, I have a cup and a baptism. Can you drink it and can you be baptized with it? And if you know anything about what the Scripture teaches about these two metaphors, these two pictures, the cup and the baptism both represent suffering and death and blessing and cleansing. In some places, the the cup is a cup of joy. Psalm 23, right? Um, My my cup overflows, right? Right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he's you know he's saying, I have a cup of joy, and I have a cup of suffering. In the Bible, the suffering cups are often metaphors of suffering, filled up with even in some places the wrath of God on evil. The cup of suffering people went through. So a cup has that, that twofold idea to it. It is both a cup of joy and a cup of suffering. Baptisms, in that ancient world, in that time, baptisms represented both cleansings and washings from your past and The idea of being overwhelmed by life. David wrote in the Psalms about being overwhelmed. Your waves, your billows crash over me. The picture is somebody who's caught if you've ever been out in the ocean and you're body surfing or you're boogie boarding or you're just swimming out there and all of a sudden you get hit and you get caught in an undertow and wave after wave is hitting you and you're being overwhelmed and you're like if somebody doesn't pull me out of here or I don't catch my breath soon, I'm going down. That's what that represents. So Jesus is saying, look, you're going to experience cleansing and washing, but also you may get knocked all around and experience suffering. And then he, he turns it all and he redefines what greatness is. He said, you know, in the Gentile world, leaders rule over people. They exercise authority. We see it all the time, right? We see it in government. We see it in our jobs. We see people who have authority and they know it. And not only do they know it, but they let you know it. And they pull the boss card all the time, right? And they may be completely incompetent. And you know you can do your job. Of course, most of us think we can do their job better than they can until we have that job. But... (laughs) We, we see that, we see people with authority, but when it's all going bad and their mistakes have led to problems and have made the work environment worse for everybody and we're getting frustrated and we, we want to be able to do our job but we can't because their incompetence is messing us up, they pull out the boss card. I'm the boss, do it because I said so. You feel like a, a kid and your parents are like, you know, why mom, why? Because I said so. That's the ultimate trump card, isn't it? And if you're a parent, you know you have to use it often. Sometimes it's the last resort. I'm the parent, you're the child, do it. Right? Well, that's the world of the Gentiles was a world of exercising authority. Establishing yourself as greater. And Jesus said, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. He redefined greatness. He tells the disciples that he's going to die for us to buy us back, that we have to serve one another. The greatest is the slave of all. I mean, think about that, you guys. The greatest is the slave of all. Think about our world. When you, go, when, you, when you go to a restaurant, uh, you know, you got maybe somebody serving you, or you go to, you know, some other place where you have someone serving you, we often kind of, if you're not careful, you can kind of see yourself, you know, I'm here, they are there. They have a low-paying job, probably no education. Blah, blah, blah. And we begin to define people based upon education, based upon socioeconomic strata. We begin to think of ourselves as kind of higher and superior and better, and they're kind of lower. And Jesus just turns the whole thing around. He says, oh, actually, um, the people that are serving you, the people that are around you, they're the great ones. And I go, whoa. Right? An attitude of heart that says, greatness is not defined by my ability to put others below me. Greatness is defined by my ability to lift others above me. That's a whole different picture. And then he says, for the Son of Man came not not to be served, but to serve. Now, think about that. I I told you one time I was praying, and I was reading John 13, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, and Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. And Peter's not having any of it because in that world, masters, rabbis, teachers never wash the feet of their disciples. Oh, that's crazy. And so Peter's like, no, Lord. And Jesus said, look, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't even have any part with me. And he was making a point to him, right? If you can't let me serve you and model for you what true greatness looks like, you're not really a part of my, my circle. Peter's like, wash, wash all of me then, Lord. And Jesus said, no, it's Okay just your feet that's adequate <laughs> right and i i was praying you know i was reading that and i was praying about it and it's it's easy to read the bible and just see it as a historical document and this is the way it used to be and i was reading it that day and i was praying about it and it's like the lord said to me and i i know some of you're like what do you mean he said to you a strong impression i had internally i still wash feet and i began to realize that jesus washed my feet regularly that he knelt down and he served me When he could command me to grovel at his feet because he's so powerful that all he would need to do is speak a word and the entire universe could melt. You realize that, right? He could speak a word and it would all fly apart. The scripture says in Colossians that in him all things consist, and that Greek word means are held together. He's the glue of creation. So Jesus could just be like, you know what? I'm done being glue. It all comes apart. But he doesn't. Instead, he kneels down and he washes our feet. And he says, that's greatness. That's why when you go to a church family that has people with a servant heart, that's like built into their culture. They're all looking for how they can make the other person feel valuable. That kind of place is so powerful. It's, it's, it's a place people want to go. Because they, they walk through the door and they feel like they know me, they love me, my life is valuable in their sight. Right? And when one of the things that you see that happens when churches go through difficulties, when churches split, when churches have fights, what, what's happening is people are trying to establish their authority. They're trying to be in first place. They're trying to establish that they deserve to be first. Right? But if you find a culture where people are honoring one another and serving one another and laying down their lives for one another and making a big deal about the other, not about themselves, that's a place that everybody wants to be. Isn't that true? Which takes me to the road to vision, not the road to division, the road to vision. And you get there through humility, faith, and following. Now, I'm going to have to move fast here. This is my common dilemma, isn't it? Verse 46, continuing the story. Remember, they're on the road to Jerusalem. And it says, now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. There's a blind beggar. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I love that story. Let's look at this. Blind beggar Bartimaeus is sitting by the road. What a living picture for the disciples, a blind beggar. Now, now let me remind you of something. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to the cross. They can't see it. They're blind. Then he tells them the way to greatness is like being a servant, almost like being a beggar. And they think the way of greatness is to establish authority. The next thing that happens is they meet a blind beggar who would have represented everything he had just taught them. I love the way the Bible lays out, don't you? One minute, you got to go to the cross. We don't see it. We're blind. The next minute, you got to be a servant. Oh, look, a beggar's here, and he's blind. It's almost as if blind Bartimaeus was the living picture of everything Jesus had been trying to teach them, and now he's going to show them, this is what I do for blind beggars. right? Beggars in that culture, especially blind beggars, would have been considered almost as low as a leper. Many people would have thought that he was reaping what he had sown. They would have had a theology that said, you reap what you sow, you're a blind beggar because your parents sinned or you sinned, therefore you're getting what you deserve. And I know a lot of Christians that have that view today. Ah, they're going through hardship, they don't have a job, they're out there begging by Walmart, whatever, because they've screwed it all up and they deserve and they're going to now sleep in their bed. I keep wondering where you find that mentality in the New Covenant, where you find it in the person of Jesus, where you find it with the apostles. I don't see it anywhere. I don't see that mentality that says, look, you deserve it, so live with it. I don't see that. I see Jesus always offering aid even to those who are suffering because they deserve it. In fact, here's the truth. We're all suffering because we deserve it. Now, maybe not for a specific thing, but all human suffering comes ultimately to sin and the fall and the evil that's in the world because human beings said, Forget about a God. We want to be our own God. Get out of our life. We can do this without you. And they lived in a sense of practical atheism. Even though God's providing every day the sun and the rain and everything they need to live, and He's filling the earth with goodness to provide for our needs, we reject it and we say, We got this, God. Thank you very much. We're autonomous beings. We are our own God. So all suffering is ultimately the result of human rebellion. Right? But this beggar's sitting there and he's giving them a living picture. And Jesus turns and decides, I heal guys like him. Because I love what I see coming out of him. A desperation. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh. You know, the word cry out there means to squawk like a raven or crow. You ever notice that when they really get going, it's annoying? Call, 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 Shut up. <laughs> Put them out of their misery, right? Well, that's what this guy would have sounded like. And he's squawking and he's crying out desperately. And, but he's saying the right thing. Jesus, what? Son of David? Jesus is walking. He's like, a blind man can see who I am. A beggar's more rich in the knowledge of me than anyone else. He knows who I am. I'm Jesus, the son of David. See, Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, and he was the king of the messianic line. And David was the king, and and all the prophecies had pointed to this one who would be king and messiah over Israel. And this blind beggar who can't see knows who Jesus really is. And that catches the attention of Jesus. And then he says, have mercy on me. Have you ever had anybody say, have mercy on me to you? Have you ever had anybody come broken and say, I know I hurt you so bad. And I'm so sorry. I I, I don't know why I did that. That was, please, I'm sorry, have mercy on me. You ever had that happen? I'll tell you what, if you can't have mercy on them, you got a cold, hard heart. Because even hearing somebody say, have mercy on me, does something to you. It it humbles you. Oh gosh, don't say that. Stop it. No, don't do that. Have mercy on me. Jesus hears that, man. His ears pipe up. (sighs) He knows who I am. He knows I can meet His need. He's calling me the King. He's recognizing who I am. And He's saying, have mercy on me. This is why those of us who struggle with being proud, not admitting a fault, not confessing our sin. That's a deep disease we all need to ask God to liberate us from. Because there's something so beautiful about humility, something so beautiful about a heart that recognizes its need. And here's a beggar who's blind, who says, Jesus, I see who you are, and I know you'll have mercy on me. So powerful in our lives. Have mercy on me. It's a powerful appeal to the nature of Jesus. The people said, shut up, be quiet. And he ignored them. You know, you're going to have people in your life sometimes when you're trying to move forward in God, and they're going to say stuff like, you're being too zealous. You need to calm down. You're too excited. You're too loud. You're too emotional. You're too passionate. You're too desperate. So we've had people come to our church. I'm not. I'm, listen, don't, don't take this like I'm making judgments, okay? But we've had people come to our church, and they're like, it's too intense for me. I can't take it. Because we we like a religion that um, is under control. We like to manage God. We have little boxes and we want God to fit in those boxes. And man, I'm telling you, when people get crazy, we're like, out of there. I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid. And we think we really got it figured out. We think we're the jury, judge, executor of what is proper religion, proper Christianity, proper godliness. And this guy didn't care what the crowd thought. He's like, help! He really was. He cried out all the more. Because when you're a blind, desperate beggar, you don't care what people say or think of you. This man is demonstrating the kind of heart and faith all of us should desire to cultivate in our lives. And I love what it says. Jesus stands still and calls us when we believe. I want you to see this this, uh, text here from the message paraphrase. I love what it says. It says, Jesus stopped in his tracks, call him over. Jesus is walking along. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Where did that voice come from? Because there were crowds everywhere. And I love what it says, Jesus. They say, um, the crowd says, rise, be of good cheer. He's calling you. And I love what it says. It says he threw aside his garment. Now listen, his garment was his begging garment. They would have had a cloak that went over the top of them, and they would have held the cloak out like this, and people would have come by and put money in it. So that that begging garment was his whole identity. That's how he made his money. That's how he cared for his life and his family. And at that moment, he throws it aside, jumps up, and runs to Jesus. That word means to throw it off violently and to leap and run. Wow. I love this quote by C.H. Spurgeon. He said a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And this guy wanted heaven to come to his soul. What do you want? Jesus is direct. What do you want? I want my sight. I want vision. I want to see. He wanted Bartimaeus to articulate his need. Some of you are like, you know, I don't need to pray. Jesus knows my needs already. That is true. But Jesus loves it when you tell him. Go ahead, tell him and be specific. Tell him and be specific. This guy was specific and he said it. It's a beautiful example of prayer. Tell him what you want to see. Tell him that you want to see. Tell him, I need vision. I can't see clearly anymore. Please, Lord, let me see. And then faith in Jesus heals and restores blind beggars like us. I love that. Trust in Jesus and his character brings healing and restoration to every part of the human body and soul. Some healing will happen now and some will happen when we're face to face with him, but ultimately every affliction, every disease, every pain, every suffering, every scar is going to be healed. It may not happen on this side of eternity, and I don't know all the reasons why, but you're all going to be whole. Woo! I love that. Because contrary to what some people might think, I'm a mess, and I need a lot of healing in my life. And so are you. You are, really. Even those of you that think you really got your act together, I'm sorry to tell you something. You're a lot more of a mess than you realize. It's not just them. It's you too. Right? Isn't that good to know? We're all in the same boat. Bless this mess, Lord. Because the Lord takes messes and makes messages. It's true, right? And what what does Jesus say to him? He turns to Bartimaeus and he says, go your way. You're free. You have a will. But Bartimaeus doesn't go his own way. Jesus gave him a choice right there. Jesus didn't tie his healing to following him perfectly. There were no conditions to his healing. Now that's one that'll blow you away. No conditions. You're healed. Go ahead and go your way. Bartimaeus is like, no way, man, I'm following you. I'm, I'm staying on the road. When Jesus restores you, you follow him on the road. And that's the last point. You know, church history, do a little bit of study, it seems to indicate that Bartimaeus became a faithful disciple of Jesus from that day on. He was known in the early church. He didn't go on his own road, but he went on the road with Jesus, the road to the cross. He followed him on the road. And the question I have for you is, are you ready to follow him on the road? Are you ready to be a disciple and go with Jesus? Right? Some of you, you're, you're um, and I, I say this for all of us, but there's some of you, you've been, you believe in Jesus. You, you, you follow him from a distance. You love that he can multiply fish and loaves and he can do miracles. You, you love his presence. When you feel him, there's nothing like feeling him. But you haven't heard the voice of Jesus yet say to you, come follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of people. Come on, let's go together. Let's go take my message, my life, my love into the world. Come and follow me on the road. And I just want to challenge you that today is the day that you can start to follow him. And I'll I'll tell you something. You will go through difficulty, it will at times be painful, and it will be the most glorious, joyful thing you've ever done as well. And there will be nothing as fulfilling as following Jesus Christ. Nothing. Amen.